Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, December 17th. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page XXVIII in the doctor's opinion, the fourth paragraph down, which begins, Men and Women Drink. Today's readers are Marietta on the 12 Steps, Crystal on the 12 Traditions, and reading our texts are Marjorie, Marita, and Paula. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, December 16th, is 5638. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting or accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marietta to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Uh, the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made to direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry the message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I pass, and thank you. Thank you, Marietta. I will now ask Crystal to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Crystal, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. 
First, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Second, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Third, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Fourth, our group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Fifth, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Sixth, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seventh, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eighth, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Ninth, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Tenth, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleventh, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelfth, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. I pass. Thank you, Crystal. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XXVIII in the doctor's opinion, the fourth paragraph down, starting Men and Women Drink. And I will ask Marjorie to begin our reading. Good morning. This is Marjorie. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. 
The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. This is a pretty hot paragraph, and in fact, I I hear, uh, as I read it, I hear that song from one of the movies that was popular a few years ago. It's one of the refrains, it's hot, hot, hot. When it describes here the elusive effect of drinking, that applied to me with regard to the food. Whatever the food was doing for me was so elusive that if I had read this paragraph, and I probably did when I was still in the food, I would not have been able to say what the effect was, other than to say that, well, I was fat. I would not have been able to tell you what the inner effect was. The only time that I was able to finally describe what the elusive effect was, was after the food was down and I was no longer compulsively overeating and had embarked on the steps. And as time has gone on with myself remaining recovered, I've been able to identify more specifically what those feelings that the book calls restless, irritable, and discontented, I was able, I have been able to identify them specifically. It was not necessary for me to identify them specifically in order for me to begin. It didn't matter at the time what I was feeling. It matters a lot now. Again, It talks about the alcoholic life seeming to be the only normal one. I was under the impression that in order to have a social life, one had to participate in eating events, and naturally one had to eat. Otherwise, I would be insulting the hostess. I learned Otherwise, I learned that I could have a social life. I learned that I could have a business life. I learned that I could have a full life without compulsively overeating. And again, it talks about the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, which they see others taking with impunity. That identified for me And again, this is something that I could not see until recovery. My tendency to compare myself with others. Well, they do this and I do this. And it didn't matter who was doing what, but I was either 
coming out better than they or not as good as they. That was part of the mental twist, that strange mental twist. It's none of my business what other people eat. It's none of my business. It's none of their business what I eat. And then again, it talks about that phenomenon of craving. And so here here I'm no longer experiencing a discussion about the phenomenon of craving as a theory, as an ideology. I'm able now with this paragraph to identify when that phenomenon of craving sets in in myself. I'm taking it from the theoretical to the experiential level. With that, I pass, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you all have to say. Thank you, Marjorie. Okay, who would else, who else would like to share on this paragraph? Oh, I had a feeling that was going to happen. Could I get your names? I think I heard Esther? Kate. Oh, Katie from Boston. Katie G from Boston. And here's Paula. Paula. <laughs> Esther. Esther. Yeah, I got you, Esther. You're going to be first, actually. And who else? Esther, Katie G, and Paula. Did I miss anyone? Okay, Esther, we'll begin with you. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Esther, a compulsive overeater in Canada. So I love this paragraph because it so beautifully describes the cycle of disease that I lived for so many years, over and over for years, even for decades. And it begins with this idea that I eat because it makes me feel good to eat, right? I, I, drink, I eat essentially because I like what the food does for me. It makes me feel good. Now, while it, I admit it is injurious, meaning I know that it's not good for me, I put on weight, I don't like myself, my body is starting to show the effects of, of the obesity, and it's certainly affecting my relationship with others and my ability to live well. So while I admit it's injurious, I can't stop myself. But eventually things come to a head and I decide that I don't want to eat anymore. I don't want to eat compulsively anymore because I don't like what it does for me. So I decide to abstain, to stop. And that could be with a diet or, or some kind of food plan or some other uh, you know, support you know, that I decide is going to work for me. But this isn't going to work because I become, the paragraph continues to describe, I become restless, irritable, and discontented. So I'm not happy when I can't have my food. And this, and this feeling continues and intensifies and doesn't go away, that feeling of discomfort inside. It gets louder and louder. And the only way I know how to quiet that discomfort in me is to eat again, right? The, um, unless I can again experience that sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking the, a few drinks. So I'm waiting to see to see how long I can hold on before I can before I need to take that first bite to quiet that noise in my mind. These are, this is the you know food that other people can safely eat, but that I cannot. So eventually I can't take the pressure, and I pick up just one bite. But of course I can't stop at just one bite, and that triggers the phenomenon of craving. It says here the phenomenon of craving develops. I can't stop at just one. This turns into a full-blown binge, a, a, a binge that leads me to a state where I, again, swear off the food, where I say I can't take this anymore, 
I don't want to eat like this anymore. This is the firm resolution not to drink again. And, of course, we begin the cycle again where I get restless, irritable, discontent and can't stand the feelings I'm experiencing while I'm not in the food. And this cycle of disease over and over and over again, it continues and continues. And as we know that the disease cycle only intensifies and gets worse as time goes on. So while I was able to uh, be abstinent or be on a diet, perhaps for months at a time early on in my life, it came a point where the cycle of disease would move faster and faster. Imagine like a spiral spinning out of control until it was, it was almost like a dot. I, I couldn't even keep the food down for, for hours. And the very last line of this paragraph says that this cycle is going to continue over and over again for me if I'm a true compulsive overeater unless something else happens, and that is the psychic change, which I'm going to talk about in the next paragraph. But when I read this paragraph for the first time, I thought that's exactly what used to happen to me, the eating, the saying I'm never going to do this again, the stopping, the not being able to stay stopped, the picking up just one bite and over and over again until, of course, you know, um, we moved on to the solution. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Um, Paula. Oh, I'm sorry. That was Esther. Katie, it's your turn. Thanks, Esther. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and thanks, Kathy, for your service. Grateful to be here, absent and sober, and reading this paragraph. Um, So when I read this paragraph, what I was taught is I have this constant sense that wherever I am, it's not where I need to be. So I don't know how many of you have dogs. But it's like this image of the dog. Like, you know, like, as he does that circle, right, like he's going to lie on the floor somewhere. He doesn't exactly know where, but he's just sort of turning and turning and turning. And you're like, wow, you're doing that for like 15 minutes and you're never going to lie down. That is my tension of the soul. That is what is going on for me is that I, for me, I have, I I am internally restless, irritable, and discontent. What is discontented? I want something more. I want something different. If you have that, then I want to jump over and I want your life. But then I get over to your life and I don't want your life. And so it's this constant dissatisfaction, unhappiness. And I am not looking like, yeah, you know what, you guys, flour and sugar, yeah, it tastes yummy, I guess. But I'm not looking for the taste. I am looking for obliteration. I am looking for something to put me down so I can lie down on the floor and find the space where I'm supposed to be, right? Um, but I can't really articulate that. And, and really, I am just deeply and have always just deeply been looking for something to make me feel okay when I am sober and abstinent. Because I didn't feel like I was okay when I was not using. Like I would, I would hold on and I would hold on and hold on and hold on. And finally, you know, I would have that thought, okay, just take one bite, just take one action. And that again, it sets up this phenomenon of craving so that food becomes my drug of no choice. And I'm eating and eating and purging and eating and doesn't matter who you are, that well-known stages of a spree. And I come back and I'm like, oh, my God, I swear I'm never going to do it again. And it is this perfect storm, you know. And, and, and I, as I have grown in recovery, I've come to see that it is not just my alcoholic life 
that becomes normal to me. It is my fear-based life. And when I spent years in recovery as an abstinent thin woman but not working the steps, my fear-based life was the only normal one. And I would have emotional binges in that same way. I would be restless, irritable, and discontented. I was looking for a human power to fix me. I had no psychic change. My feet needed to be picked up, unrooted, and rerooted into new sound, um, sound of, uh, sanity of mind, which the only way to get that is through a relationship with God. And thank you, God, today. You know, when I start feeling a little bit whatever, you know, that's why I have step 10. I make a call. I do a turnaround because I don't want eating to be a step up from how I feel about myself. And I am so grateful to know this today and to be in the solution with all of you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Uh, Paula, you're next. Paula, we can't hear you. Now I am unmuted to be heard. This would be Paula. Thank you for your service, Kathy, again. And uh, this would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'm just going to zero in on a couple words here because there there is so much here. There's so much life that we have lived here, or death. The sensation is so elusive, baffling, hard to grasp mentally that while that they admit I would be the part of the day, it is injurious. They cannot, after time, differentiate the truth from the false. I knew the lies, and I wanted to believe them. What was false was true. What was true was false. I couldn't tell the difference anymore. And then it goes on. And we know this disease goes on. It's a disease. It progresses. After they have succumbed, after they have succumbed, what does the word succumb mean? To give way to superior force, to yield, to die. As has been spoken many times, many ways we die. As so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known. It isn't though I don't know. I know exactly what's going to happen. Yet the lie is, this time it's going to be different. This time it's going to be different. No. Well-known stages of a spree emerging. This is what I come out. What comes out of me? Remorseful with a firm resolution. They're the lie again. Not to drink again. But how sad these words. This is repeated over and over. It doesn't happen once. Well, now, no, no, it's not going to happen again. Another lie. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And unless this person can experience, now I like the word they put in here, not just psychic change, because we've all had those moments. But they don't last and they don't stay. Entire must be total, complete. There is very little hope of his recovery. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I await the next year. Thank you again. With that, I guess. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recover compulsive overeater. 
Thank you, Kathy, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I love this paragraph. I feel like they knew me, and they know me, and they wrote this paragraph special for me because this is me. This is exactly me. Before the program, I this was uh, this what happened. This was this where I was. I was in the food, so I didn't see nothing beside myself, me, and I, and the food. I myself was in the center. What means myself was in the center? I was only busy how much the world is treating me not nice and how much my life is miserable to me and how much people are so bad and, and mean to me. They don't understand me. They don't love me. They don't respect me. I didn't know that this is a reflection of myself to myself. I didn't love myself. I didn't respect myself. I didn't trust myself. But for sure, I didn't understand this then. I was busy only blaming and judging everybody. Of course, not myself. You know, I am so good, so wonderful. You know, I didn't understand why life is so miserable. And this what happened. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect product by alcohol. This is what I was. Yes, I was so angry, so upset, so not happy that I ran to the food. And the food was my friend because they didn't blame me. They, they didn't judge me. And I, I liked the, the, the feeling of the food. But when I woke up, oh, no, 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 I was angry at the food. I, again, the food was my enemy, and I promised, no, Bella, that's it, no more. Next time when I will feel angry, sad, disappointed, I will not run to the food. I know that the food is making me problems and trouble, but, you know, I couldn't stop it. And now, thank God, thank God that I am in the program I am busy with myself, but in a positive way. I am thinking what I can give to the world, what I can share my experience to, to, to make a better world. And now I know, no, the food is not my friend. My food is my enemy. If I need my, to, the love and the care, Bella, you will not find it by the food. And the minute that I put the food down, then when I understood the cycle that I was there, that I couldn't even stop, thank God, thank God that I, God brought me to the awareness to realize, Bella, the food is not your friend. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Lauren? Go ahead, Lauren. Thank you. Hi, I am Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a recovered compulsive reader. And when I read each paragraph in the big book, I um, was directed to do this, to relate it to me, to really see, do I identify? 
So what's helpful to me is just to say, do I, do I eat essentially because I like the effect produced by food? Did this effect become so elusive that while I admitted it is hurting me, I could not after a time differentiate the truth from the false? Uh, you know, just go, just taking every sentence, am I restless? Am I uneasy, easily annoyed, and never satisfied? Oh, my goodness. Do I believe that in recovery I must experience the sense of ease and comfort that I got by eating? If I don't, will I give in to the desire to eat compulsively again? So I identify with every sentence. This is me, just like what we just shared. This is my story. So because I can answer each question with yes, this is absolutely me, yes. I have gave in to the desire again. Oh, my gosh, I do pass through the well-known stages of a spree. This is repeated over and over again for me. I don't have any other solution unless I can experience an entire change of the soul. And there, if I don't, there's very little hope for me in my recovery. Um, I just, I love, oh, I, I just identify with this hundred um, percent. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lori. Hi, hi, this is Julie. Okay, okay we have a few more shares. This on is there. Sharon. May I share? And Kim. Okay, I heard Sharon, Julie, Kim. Is there someone else? Anna? This is Jackie in West Virginia. Jackie and Heather, what's it? Heather, is that your name? Marietta from Virginia would like oh, to share. Marietta. Okay, great. So we have Sharon, Julie, Kim, Jackie, and Marietta. Go ahead. Oh, hi, Kathy. Thank you. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, thanks. This is Sharon, Recovered uh, Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And, uh, boy, I just uh, had some things going through my mind where it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. And I can so identify in, it was so interesting yesterday, I was watching a program on TV and of course the commercials kept coming on and every single one of them had to do with with food and I couldn't believe the way they were depicting these foods, you know, the expressions on the people's faces and and oh my gosh, this is almost like a utopia or something. And and one was, you know, uh, one that was filled with sugar and the other one was like a low calorie that you could... Uh, still enjoy that elusive moment, but it was only 90 calories, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, that was me, always trying after that line was crossed to uh, recapture those those moments that were just um, not even real. I mean, you know, like, like the food was going to give me everything that I had ever not been able to experience anywhere else. And so I see how it is that uh, restless, irritable, and dissatisfaction that causes that false idea to believe that this little item is going to uh, give you everything that you think is missing in your life. And then, uh, again, then what happens? So after you succ- they succumb to the desire again, as so many do, and I was one of those, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree. 
emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. And that's just part of the vicious cycle of addiction because that's part of the addiction process. We're never going to experience that without the downside of the addiction, which is exactly being just uh, full of guilt, remorse, and regret. And we repeat this over and over again. And, and then it's like this, this paragraph tells it just like it is. We repeat it over and over again. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And I am so grateful for this doctor's opinion because that's what has changed in me. Because of this, I have had that psychic change. I've gone through the steps, and I see things so differently, but it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with this God, higher power, that has changed my mind, renewed my mind, and also convinced me to the core of my very being that I have a physical allergy that will never, ever change. So there are certain foods that I must not ever ingest even just a little bit of. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Sharon. Julie. This is Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater in California. And, you know, uh, there's so many highlights I have on this paragraph. I mean, because it's me. You know, from the very get-go, why do I eat? Because it's that effect. You know, the first time that I overate, I was about eight years old and had five, you know, sandwiches in a row. And, I mean, it was like I could feel this power flow in. And ever since then, that's what I did. My whole 24-7 would be, what am I going to eat? How am I going to eat it? What am I going to do after I eat it? And then I felt horrible. I'd go to bed at night feeling, oh, my God, I can't believe I ate this. Please, God, help me. It was this bargaining thing. 24-7, even though I knew it was injurious, I would go to three different jack-in-the-boxes. It didn't matter. I mean, binge, purge, I'm 5'2", went to 277. But I would do it over and over again. And I was always restless, irritable, and discontented until I picked up whatever that food was. And, you know, if I lost 50 pounds, if I lost 100 pounds, it all started with that first bite because it would set me up. And then that phenomenon of craving would develop and I had no control. I mean, when I was in the obsession, I was in the obsession. That's all I knew. All I knew was to eat, to eat, to eat, to eat. Um, And I love it, you know, because we feel guilty. I've gained weight. I've got to stop the New Year's weddings coming up, whatever. I'm never going to do this again. And I bargained with God if he would just not let me have a heart attack because of the chest pains. I promise I'll stay on my diet. And I did for two days until the obsession came and I picked up. Um, But today I'm recovered based on my daily work and I am not that same woman I'm abstinent. I don't have the cravings. I don't have the obsessive thoughts. They're gone. But it's as a result of working these steps and living in 10, 11, and 12 and taking action and making amends. But I love this. This is repeated over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change. It doesn't mean just be abstinent. It means not being manipulative, not being controlling, 
not being dishonest, not being selfish on a daily basis. That's what a psychic change is. And I have only been able to experience that this last year as a result of um, having a relationship with God. That's all this is about, my relationship with God. Because when I was doing all of these things, I was agnostic in certain areas. So today I get to wake up and not think, oh my God, did I eat that yesterday and see the wrappers? I get to say, okay, God, what is my what is your plan for me? So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Julie. Kim, you're next. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. And this is the paragraph that separates the men from the boys separates the hard eaters, the moderate eaters, from the true compulsive overeaters. This describes what it means to be a, a compulsive overeater, that twofold illness. So I'm going to zone in on after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. So that word succumb is huge. And Paula gave the definition. Succumb means to give away the superior force or to yield to disease. It's, it's we are making that decision. A brownie has never flown in my mouth without me picking it up. So what do we often hear in the room? Well, I had a slip. So what does a slip mean? I looked up that word. It's to slide suddenly and involuntarily. So what's a common call that I get or common um, thing when someone says, well, I had a slip last night. And I say, well, what happened? Well, I was out to dinner with the family and I had dessert. So once again, the slip is to slide suddenly and involuntarily. So I say, okay, so for you a slip is getting a menu, deciding which dessert that you want, waiting till the uh, waiter comes over, giving the waiter your order, him going away, him coming back a few minutes later, delivering the dessert, and you picking up the fork and eating that dessert. That is not a slip. That is succumbing. That is giving way to a superior force. This is yielding to your disease. And as long as we think that we're slipping and sliding, we're giving the excuse of why we can't stay abstinent. We succumb and then the phenomenon of craving happens. We do not crave unless we have ingested the food according to the doctor's opinion. So this interplay of the allergy of the body, which we talk about the effect produced by alcohol, and the obsession of the mind, which we describe as restless, irritable, and discontent. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say someone is extremely allergic to poison ivy. If they get up against poison ivy, they break out not just a rash, but they get a, a, a hyper-allergic um, reaction to it. But they like to hike. So they get appropriate clothes, and they make sure that none of their body parts are exposed, and they know what poison ivy looks like, and they know where it is in their hiking, and they avoid it. And because of that, they can enjoy the hike. That is someone who just has the allergic reaction. That's someone who just is allergic to the food. A moderate eater or a heavy eater who can put down the food and then enjoy the rest of their life because they don't have the obsession. But what do you think about somebody who is allergic to poison ivy, puts all that clothes on, has all that protection, knows what it looks like, and they can't even see the mountains or the sun, or the beauty of the surroundings, because all they can think about is that poison ivy. All they see is it, and they're obsessing on it, and their eyes are darting all over it. And finally, they strip down to their underwear, and they dive into poison ivy, and they roll all over it. And then they get that allergic reaction. 
Do you think they said they slipped to slide suddenly and involuntarily into the poison ivy? No, they had an obsession of the mind and they succumbed. So where is the insanity? Is the insanity in the fact that the person has a reaction to poison ivy? Or is the insanity in the fact that they know they have the allergy to poison ivy, they've taken those protective measures, and they've chosen to strip down to their underwear and roll around in it? The insanity is in the restless, irritable, and discontent and the obsession of the mind. And that is what makes me compulsive over And that is why I am forced, absolutely forced, to work these steps. Because if I simply had the allergy, I would put the food down and my problems would go away. My problem is when I put the food down, the problem really begins. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Jackie. Hi, this is Jackie. Good morning, Jackie. Go ahead. Well, I am really in the problem now. I have not picked up the sugar or flour, but I am going crazy. I have done a fourth step, but I, what Katie G said about the dog that's going around in circles, around, I am definitely going around in circles. Um, I have the mental obsession. It's definitely... It's not as much sugar, flowers, just the food, the idea, the preparation, the excitement of 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 preparing the food, and I am just so into it. It, it is driving me crazy, and I try talking to people, and I try reading, and nothing seems to relieve it. Um. I'm so blessed that I'm not running for sugar. I'm not running for the flour, but it's, I don't know. I just don't like the way this feels, and I'm feeling like, is this worth it? Why am I torturing myself like this? And I don't know. I just like to hear what people do when this restlessness is, I know I've had it all my life. I've been irritable, restless, and discontented. I've moved across country four or five times thinking that just a new place, a new... And nothing is helping me. I've done my fourth step. I've done my fifth step. I talk to people on the phone, but it just doesn't work. It's not working, and I'm freaking out. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. You may want to come to our second hour where we can have dialogue. Um, Marietta, you're next. Hi, this is Marietta from Virginia. And this is one of my favorite paragraphs, and it's on my favorite page. It's XV, XXVIII. You know, III, that's how I always felt after I picked up. I, 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 you know, it's always about me, you know, and I. And um, one of the things, it wasn't until I was taught, I learned, and I own that this paragraph is talking about me being abstinent, not about me being in the food already, but my, in a state of abstinence, and I'm still irritable and discontent. 
And it's not until I've had that psychic change. And for me, that psychic change is when I no longer turn to the food, but I pause and I turn to God, you know, first before I even pick up the phone and start talking to people and so forth because, you know, I am beyond the aid of any human aid as a compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, it's... It's, you know, it, this is the crux of my disease right here, uh, you know, because it will happen again and again, you know, until there is a solution that is different than my solution that was always the food. And uh, today, by God's grace, that that grace is God. And with that grace, by what I do on a daily basis of prayer and meditation, that I have an opportunity to turn to God in those blank spots, that those blank spots will come, as it talks about in the book. And I am grateful today. And, you know, I just thought, uh, I thought it was very clever. You know, they put it on page XXVII. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Marietta. And this is Kathy, and I'd like to make a brief contribution here. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, the psychic change, that's introduced here is something that um, was elusive and out of reach for me for many years, even though I was studying the steps. Um, And I have to say that um, it took me quite a while for those of you who are new or struggling um, to really um, experience the psychic change. And Uh, As I look back on my experiences, everything that happened until today was something I had to experience and something that contributed to my finally finding a relationship with a higher power that would um, keep me abstinent and allow me to to develop very new reactions to life. so I identify with this whole paragraph, and I would just add a sentence from my own experience, which is to, it comes to some of us quickly and some of us slowly, and for me it was a slow process. With that, I pass. Let's move on to the next paragraph, which tells us more about a psychic change. And I'll ask Marita to read that paragraph. For you. Good morning, uh, Kathy. Uh, this is Marita. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Right. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who did not understand, once the psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. And um, so that's a, that's a reference to the 12 steps and our 12 traditions, these simple rules that we are asked to follow to keep us out of our um, drug of choice or no choice. So one thing that I wanted to look at on this, in this paragraph is, is where they say suddenly finds himself easily able to control desire. So 
um, it is it is subtle what they're saying there, but um, to find myself in doing something is often what I was finding myself when I was in the food, right? I was already halfway through uh, a sleeve of Oreos or a can of brownies or just stuck my hand into the apple cobbler at uh, in the walk-in at my work, and this was for a catering job that day. So um, I would find myself compelled by the food and feeling like I couldn't control it and it wasn't me doing it. Of course, there's a point where it was me putting it in to begin with. But by the time the craving had erupted in my body, it was it was way out of my control. And um, the discussion here is that is that this is also something I can't will for myself, something I can't coerce for myself, but it's something that can happen to me. I can find myself being in a neutral position to the food. I can find myself no longer turned on by the smell uh, coming from the candy aisle in the store where I have to shop. There, this, this, this can be lifted. It's not me doing the, the heavy lifting. It's my higher power, but I've had to put myself into a position where I can change. And um, this entire psychic change, from my perspective, one of the big changes that I noticed in my life is that, and this sort of goes back to paragraph before, where it says, we, they cannot after a time differentiate the truth from the false. I, I was such a liar. I was such a liar, like a compulsive liar, to go along with my compulsive overeating. And I lied to myself in my denial that I didn't have problems or that I didn't eat the cookies, I would lie to other people. Um, and I would just make up lies that there, it was like it wasn't even a, um, it wasn't even a good reason for the lie. It wasn't like I was protecting myself. I would just, uh, I would lie because I thought the truth was too boring and I just wanted to see if people would like me better. Or I would lie, it, it, there, there was never any good, a good enough reason for what I did. And that compulsivity, it's gone now. I want honesty. I, I want to be true to myself and to the people I care about. I want to have some integrity which has real meaning to me. And I work really hard to manage that. And that is a psych change in my it's a change in my mind about what matters. And it does happen. It happens uh, sometimes in sneaky ways and stuff on it. But this stuff really does work. Um, thanks so much for letting me share. Thank you, Marita. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Marjorie. Katie G from Boston. Okay, I heard Marjorie and then Katie G. Go ahead, Marjorie. This is Marjorie, recovered compulsive overeater. What I want to focus on is the idea of psychic change because Initially, that sounded to me like something really otherworldly, supernatural, out of this world, and I really had some reluctance or resistance to that sort of an experience. But it made it easier for me as I continued on to put it aside, to just not, to just not worry about that. 
and to focus on my recovery, remaining abstinent and working the steps. And what I found was that when I got to step 12, and it was using the word spiritual awakening, and the 12 and 12 talks about a spiritual awakening as when I can do or feel or think that which I could not do or feel or think before, that for me was my way of getting a handle on psychic change and coming to recognize that I didn't have to resist it and I didn't have to uh, run away from it and it wasn't going to be Marjorie in the ozone. I pass. Thank you, Marjorie. Katie G? Hi, this is Katie G again, uh, compulsive reader recovered. Um, what I'm so grateful for this paragraph is, you know, the very same person who seemed doomed, like doomed to death, right? Like I was totally doomed to death. I 228 pounds, 110 pounds, and then maintaining abstinence without a relationship with God. And for me, what these few simple rules showed me is that I am a fear-based person. And that every single action and decision that I had ever made until I did the 12 steps with a, with a recovered sponsor was based on fear. And what is that fear? It's self-centered. What's going to happen to me if? What if you don't like me? What if I lose this? What if I don't get what I want? And suddenly I am in this place where I'm that dog. I'm restless, irritable, and discontent because fear is dominating me. And I have to say, because I am not dominated by fear, I'm abstinent, and I have a relationship with God, you know, I, I, don't, I don't crave food. I don't crave that sense of ease and comfort because God, this relationship with God, is my happy, happy place, you know. And, but the thing is, for me, I am blocked. And that's what my sponsor said to me. Before I did the steps, I was blocked by what? Resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear. And they were all propelled by this, um, by fear. And until I learned how to do those turnarounds and see, okay, I am a naturally selfish person and what actions can I take to, to get out of myself, um, then, then I had no hope. And, and what I love, I'll just close with this, I, I love that it's like suddenly, I find myself suddenly, it's so true, like suddenly, you know, I'm living my life on an entire different basis. But I can't do that on my own. I cannot change myself on my own. I have to do the steps. I have to clear the wreckage of my past, clear the wreckage of my thinking, and then there's nothing between me and God. And that's why I have to stay active in 10, 11, and 12 and giving this to others because I can be a naturally selfish person, and my solution today is getting out of myself through other-centered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Okay, it's time for us to close. Um, I want to thank everyone uh, for a wonderful meeting today. Um, it was really uh, so helpful to me, and I hope to everyone on the line. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Paula, will you please read a vision for you? That I will, and thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.